before you today and we pray in Jesus' name that you would remind us that you are the cornerstone, that you are in fact the one that we worship in spirit and in truth. And Father, we pray today that as we gather as your people that it would be a pleasing aroma to you, the praises that we lift up. That as we study your word today, that you would give us wisdom and discernment to be able to hear clearly from your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. We're glad that you're here this morning, and we're also glad that Brian Baldwin, one of our workers with Envision Atlanta, is here with us today. And we're excited about that. So I've made no secret about the fact that I am passionate about high school football. I've spent years on the field, and full disclosure, I probably spend about as much time game planning and watching game film, even when I'm not coaching, uh, as I do preparing for sermons. I love football. Being on a high school football field for me feels like home. I've also made it no secret that I am a fully immersed, blue blood flowing through my veins supporter of Oswego Buccaneers football. See, to these young men, while I'm not coaching them with X's and O's, uh, they've let me invest in them. They know that when Papa Fee comes, uh, they're going to get a Bible story, and they're going to get a life lesson right before the game and right after the game. And friends, you've never heard such a group of young men pray the Lord's Prayer with such passion and reverence and conviction right in front of a high school full of family and friends on a public campus. It never becomes routine for them. You can hear it in their voice as each one says to one another, come on, boys, everybody touching one another. Everybody touching somebody. Funny how that works, isn't it? A group of young men in the world finding purpose and value in a prayer that Jesus gave to the church. And these young men, they know that whether we win or lose after the game, we are going to praise him in prayer. Now, for seven years, uh, Bucks football went year after year without winning a game, and re- as recently as two years ago, they couldn't even field a team. So they canceled their season, and as a result, their coach quit, and they had to find a new coach. But with a new coach and a fresh vision to restore the team, all of that changed. quarter and a half of football, and the Oswego Buccaneers won their season opener. 
First time in seven years. What this Tim needed was a fresh start. Coach Primrose, Coach Matag, Coach Lavner, it gave those boys a fresh start. But I also believe that as these young men allow me the opportunity to coach up their souls, that God is giving them a fresh start in a relationship with him. And a couple have actually come to faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone expected at the, end of, at the beginning of the season the same result for these young men. My dad commented at halftime of that particular game that there was a man leaving a stadium at halftime, and he said, well, that's a swiggle football for you. He had no idea. This team had a fresh start. Sometimes that's all you need, right? Sometimes that's all you need is a fresh start. In Nehemiah 9 through 12, this is what Israel is getting as they are restored back to Jerusalem and the surrounding towns. They're getting a fresh start. Now in the story, their broken covenant relationship with God takes center stage. The return to God's word that we saw last week, it sets the table for what we're going to see this week. In Nehemiah chapter 9, as Israel continues to dig deeper and deeper into God's word, they can't deny the reality of what happens when you do such a thing. We expose ourselves as sinners. Inasmuch as this book teaches you all that you need to know about God, it exposes and reveals everything about us. When we read the words of Scripture in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't escape the absolute holiness of God and the absolute sinfulness of ourselves, but also the absolute mercy of God to restore sinners. Israel, as they respond in obedience to the word of God, they approach it now with a full reading for a third time in Nehemiah chapter 9, and they recognize their spiritual poverty. They say, God, we need a fresh start. And it starts with confessing their sins publicly and corporately. They walk step by step through Nehemiah chapter 9, through their repeated failures of their people to keep covenant with God, but God's rich mercy to restore them every single time. Now, Israel must take a step of obedience to renew their covenant relationship with God, their fresh start. They initiate that fresh start based on the pursuing, understanding, and obedience to the word of God that we saw last week. In Nehemiah 9.38, it says that they made a firm covenant in writing with God. They made the covenant. They made a recommitment to covenant with God, a commitment to do certain things based on their understanding of the word of God. If you're unfamiliar with the idea of a biblical covenant, it is an agreement that is binding between God and man with certain oaths made, blessings for keeping the covenant, curses for breaking the covenant, and they're in a season of having to restore their broken covenant. As a people enjoying God's mercy, as they gain an understanding of the word of God, they realize that they need to recommit to their covenant relationship with God. They say it's time for a fresh start. And friends, as a church, this is where we are. The majority of you have said it. Our leaders have said it. When you called me to be a pastor here, you said it. You said it's time for a fresh start. As we push forward with a fresh start, there's some things that we can learn from this passage this morning. There's actually three principles 
aspects of recommitment to covenant that emerge from this passage. Separation, sacrifice, and serving. At the beginning of chapter 9, the nature of their gathering has started to change. In Nehemiah chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 2, it says that the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities to the fathers. They came together corporately to confess sin as a people. The people of God, chosen by God, set themselves apart for a period of time from the rest of the world for the purpose of confessing sin. And this was the backdrop for entering into this recommitment of covenant And it begins with a separation that is foundational. You see, there's two elements to the separation that starts to emerge that we see in Nehemiah chapter 10. As they confess their sins, the first is a separation for the sake of the next generation. Look at Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 30. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Parents made a commitment on behalf of their children. Why make such a high priority of this in the recommitment to the covenant? Because of what they had already seen as they were reading and understanding the law. They would have read, for example, in a full reading of the law, Exodus chapter 34, verses 11 through 16, where it says, Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, Perizzites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, and you eat and sacrifice. And you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods." Notice the word covenant used twice in that passage. I know that's not the word that probably stands out to you the most in that passage, but let's stay on covenant for just a moment. In ancient Near East culture, to intermarry with anyone was to establish a covenant for them. And in Israel's case, what that meant was to exchange a covenant. It was to say, God We chose the world over you because the world offers something that seems better. And Israel was using as a bargaining chip for this covenant with the world their sons and their daughters, their children. Israel experienced the painstaking reality of what we see later in James 4.4 when James says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or hostility with God? Israel needed to separate from the world in order to restore the covenant that they had broken with God, not just for their sake, but for the sake of the next generation, to protect and to preserve their children. This didn't mean that they had to completely disengage from the world. In fact, as Brian read for us in Nehemiah chapter 11, we see the people return back into relationships with foreign people in their towns and in their villages. 
The expectation is that they're going to be able to live among those outside of the people of God, but yet not succumb to the temptation of the allure of the world. It's a both-and proposition. And it's a proposition that holds true for us. We have a responsibility to be a redemptive presence in the lives of the next generation, a generation that is wandering away from Jesus Christ. We have to help clearly define spiritual formation in their lives and help to create the lines of separation between separation and engagement with the world. For Israel, that meant learning to be in the world without giving themselves to the world. And the starting point was not for themselves. It was to protect the next generation. Friends, what our children need most from us is the highest priority of the kingdom in our lives. A fresh start of healthy discipleship for us as adults comes with a covenant to impart that to the next generation. Israel separated their families from the world, but that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to separate from the world. For the sake of the next generation, they had to separate to something else, which meant a separation to the worshiping community. In Nehemiah 10.31, as we continue, it says, And if the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. For Israel, Sabbath-keeping was a strong marker of their identity as a people of God and a sign of the covenant. The people are now reminded through the repeated reading of the law of the importance of what had been lost as a result of not keeping the Sabbath day holy. Leading up to this broken covenant relationship with God, for Israel, the Sabbath had become a place of resentment and even injustice. In other words, a people set apart for a time dedicated to worship and rest had become a burden for them rather than a joyful part of the covenant that God had given them. And now they're realizing it. They realize that they need a fresh start in honoring the worshiping community set apart for God. They needed a fresh start as a worshiping community. Friends, the covenant call of God For Sabbath rest and worship is not for his good, it's for ours. Have you ever considered the reality that man's first encounter with God is not work, it's rest? God created man on the sixth day, formed him out of the dust from the ground, and the very next day, the seventh day, the first thing Adam sees God doing is resting. He experiences rest and the presence of God. Israel had lost that. And friends, I think we might have lost that as well. We as the people of God need a space, a proximity set apart from the world and the dealings of the world to enjoy the presence of God. Each week as we gather here for the exaltation of Jesus Christ in all things, this is a fresh start opportunity to give highest priority to God in blood earnest worship of him, which means we have to say yes to this and no to other things. The first commitment Israel makes in their renewed covenant with God is a covenant of separation for the next generation and for worship. And for them, it necessitates two things that we see in the text. The first being 
financial sacrifice. Notice what happens in the process of making this recommitment of covenant for Israel. It's going to cost them financially. To not intermarry with the world meant reducing the pool of resources that they had available to them, community. And to not engage in commerce on the Sabbath meant that their resources would be limited even further. But notice what happens in Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feast, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel for all the work of the house of our God. And later, at the end, in verse 39, they repeat, we will not neglect the house of our God. Something fascinating happens here in this passage in a recommitment to covenant with God. The people, the entire community, in verse 32, take on this obligation of a third part of the shekel for each year to maintain their worshiping community. Here's the fascinating thing about that. That third shekel commitment wasn't required in the law. There were other financial expectations and obligations that we see chronicled there in Nehemiah 10 that are ascribed to the law, but this was something that they came up with over and above what was expected in order to get a fresh start as a worshiping community. So track with me here. They've made this covenant commitment to separate from the world. They have less financially because they have committed to separate from the world and not give their children in marriage, so they have limited resources. They have committed to refrain from commerce on the Sabbath, limiting their resources even further, so they have even less, and their response is to be radically generous for the sake of the gathered community in worship and in that separation for the next generation in gaining a fresh start. Friends, as a church, as we look ahead to where we are, it's going to require this kind of radical generosity to rise up and build. Making our budget and meeting our expenses, that, that takes generosity. And we want to thank you for the generosity that you show. But it also takes faith for those who create a budget and those who give to it. When someone puts a budget on paper, what they're saying is, I, by faith, have a vision for my area of ministry. And I, by faith, trust that the people of Oswego Alliance will support me in that vision. They're trusting that we'll say yes. And by faith, you, through your giving, say, I trust that you are speaking to God for your area of ministry and you are seeking a God-shaped vision and I will make your vision my financial priority. That's what was happening in Israel. Later today, we're going to vote on a budget that really maintains where we are from our giving for the last several years, which has been in decline. When we say yes to that budget, we are making a covenant. We are saying, God, this is what we are committed to financially as a body. My hope is this year as a covenant commitment to grow as a church, that we will not only commit to making our expenses, which we have for the last few years, 
but that we will also commit to making our budget, fulfilling the vision of those who have labored for the gospel, which we haven't for the last several years. But that's going to take radical generosity. The radical generosity that we see in this passage, I hope that we see that this year that sets us up for a fresh start in 2023. Israel invested more in the kingdom work when they had less, and it was built on sacrifice. But even more than sacrifice, what we see in this passage is a community that comes together for this fresh start in service to one another for the sake of worship. Look again at Nehemiah 10, verse 34. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God, according to our Father's houses, at times appointed year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord as it is written in the law. So they're reading the law, and they find that this perpetual fire on the altar is a requirement of the law, and so they start it. But through a reading of the law, they would see this and recognize the expectation, but it's interesting. In the law, there's no mandate for how or who will supply the wood. So the people come together for this task in order to help the worshiping community get a fresh start. There's no volunteer sign-up sheets in Israel. The people saw the need in their community and were prepared not to avoid service to the body, but to engage for the sake of kingdom work. Friends, each of us have been uniquely gifted by God to serve in his kingdom. You have a place. You have a fit. But there is also wood to be carried around here. That takes no unique gifting at all. It just takes a heart to want to serve in God's kingdom and to meet the needs of the body. This is the whole of Nehemiah 9 through 12. A people who through devotion to the word saw the need to reestablish a covenant with God built on separation, sacrifice, and service for the sake of the worshiping community. And in order for all that to happen, to recommit to this covenant of separation, sacrifice, and service, here's what was necessary. Courageous leadership. In the first 27 verses of Nehemiah chapter 10, you have another list of names given, 84 names to be exact. What's the purpose of that list? These are the individuals who were leading in Israel at the time. Government officials, priests, Levites. They're the ones who would later live in the town, Jerusalem. Those on whom authority and accountability had been conferred by God. And these men had to be willing to put their money where their mouth was. The whole community was going to enter into this recommitment to covenant. But these men... According to Nehemiah 9.38, they had to sign on the dotted line. Their names are forever linked in the pages that you have to a commitment that they made to covenant. The rest of the 42,360 that Jeff talked about in Nehemiah 7, they didn't have to put their names on the document. These men did. That's courageous leadership. But it also took a committed people. In Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, the people saw the commitment of this leadership to provide a fresh start by reestablishing the covenant with God, 
And what they had seen in these men and what they had been revealed in this word was enough for them to say, we're all in. Friends, this is the place that we find ourselves at Oswego Alliance Church with an opportunity for a fresh start, a reestablishment of covenant with God. Our elders are some of the most faithful, available, teachable, courageous men that I've had the opportunity to be around. We've spent hours discussing, sometimes raising our voices at each other, disagreeing with each other, but also coming to consensus with one another, laughing together, studying together, praying with one another for where we are headed as a church. We asked for your help in this. And when we conducted our peak profile last year, 164 of you responded and we heard you. Growing in spiritual maturity, a deeper commitment to growing in prayer, creating the space for more engaging community and developing new leaders. This is the fresh start that you asked for. And our leaders, they are ready to put their names on the line. Pastor Berlin, Eric Goodenow, Barney Johnson, B.J. Galka, Art Jones, Fred Baldwin, Dave Fresh. Men, thank you for being willing to put in the work and for being courageous leaders to say that we are going to make a covenant to be a church that is getting a fresh start. As we share this fresh look at purpose and vision and core values as a church, there's nothing radical or profound here, and that's the point. Like we said, we're getting back to fundamentals. But these statements are more than just words on a piece of paper, especially for me. For me as the lead elder here, these are the result of hours in the Word, in prayer, fasting, sleepless nights, tears, rejection by some, encouragement by others, in a mind that never really shuts off thinking about God's church. I've put these things that are on my heart before our elders and they have affirmed them. This is our fresh start. You find it in your bulletin. Our purpose, why we exist. We exist to guide people to their next step with Jesus Christ. This is our great commission statement. Wherever anyone might be in their relationship to Jesus Christ, our aiming point is to help them get one step closer to a saving relationship with him. And once they are there, to be in an even deeper relationship with him. What do we want to see out of that purpose? What are we striving for? What is the evidence that we are on track? You've heard me say it before. It's our vision statement. Our vision is to be a people who know Jesus Christ, who grow into spiritually mature followers of him, and go and build his kingdom through a spread of the gospel to the lost. Know, grow, and go. This is the fruit that we hope to see as we covenant with God, as we help people take their next steps with Jesus. And in living out that purpose and in casting that vision, there has to be some absolute concrete things that we say will guide us as we function as a church. Our core values. Teaching towards spiritual maturity. Seeking God in prayer. Launching new leadership. Living life together with purpose. Believing every person's life matters and bringing the truth of Jesus Christ to the world. 
This is what you told us, the fresh start that you wanted, and we want to give it to you. These statements will drive every decision that we make in our fresh start, in our covenant that we make as a church. And in 2022, what I hope is that we can add some flesh to the bones of these statements to give a clear sense of how we intend to carry them out. This is just the first step. Our budget and plans for next year may look on paper like they're lacking in some key areas, and quite frankly, they are. But they are the launching pad for plans as we go forward into developing into 2023. The question is, are you all in? What does it mean to be all in? Everything you have seen in this passage this morning, separation, sacrifice, and service for the sake of the worshiping community. Our leaders, our courageous leaders, are ready to make a covenant with God centered around these things, and we believe that there's not a thing that we have put on paper that God wouldn't want for us. We are ready to rise up and build with these statements to guide us. And I hope and I pray that as you see these courageous leaders, that you will be a committed people, ready to be all in. This is our fresh start. I hope you're with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we learned this morning from your word. God, as I've gone over this passage again and again and again, the same things were emerging. And as we apply it here for us, I hear the voices of people from my first interview saying we need a new vision, a new course, a fresh start, a fresh direction. I hear it again in the first time I I stepped onto this pulpit. And I hear it from all the people who have spoken into where we are at this point as the Swigo Alliance Church. God, this isn't about me. This isn't about um, church leaders. This is about a people, a covenant people, a community of people who you died for. And God, we know that you want us to grow spiritually. We know that you want us to grow deeper in prayer. We know that you want us to have the fellowship of the saints as a high priority. We know that you want us to go and proclaim the gospel to the world. We know that you want us to preserve and protect life. We know that that means a a, a separation from the world to honor a time to be together as the worshiping community. And we know that as we do that, God, that As you've given us resources, we need to trust you for the God-shaped vision that you have put on people's hearts here. And we know that it means service to one another, to carry wood for one another for the sake of our worshiping community and so that we can expand that worshiping community, that the world can see us and say, I desperately want to be a part of a community like that. So God, help us and guide us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.